Greetings old Haliburians and members of the wider Haliburi community wherever and whenever you are listening to this From the Archives podcast. This is Keith White from the class of 62 bringing you the 17th of our regular podcast series which includes audio material from the Haliburi archives. This month we have three quite different pieces all designed to lift up your hearts as we negotiate the brave new world of the coronavirus. But first, a special message from Russell Davidson. Russell has been Executive Director of OHA and Director of Development and Alumni Relations since 2008 and is a Haley man through and through. His father Ian was college accountant for many years. Russell attended Haley as a student and was involved in debating football, cricket and football umpiring before leaving in 1986. After graduating from university, he taught at Newlands between 1996 and 2002 before taking on the position of National Business Manager at Camp Australia. Russell's wife Simone is Head of Pre-Senior Girls at Keysborough and their three children are at Haylebury in Year 11, 9 and Year 5. Thank you Keith. I appreciate the opportunity to say a few words through this forum. Haylebury and the OHA have been going through some challenging times of late. However, I am very proud of the way that both organisations have adapted during these times. Currently, Halebury is leading the way across the country with the delivery of an outstanding online program to over 4,000 students across our Melbourne-based campuses. The OHA too continues to work hard to provide our members with a range of activities and services to engage our strong membership. My team continues to offer assistance by phoning alumni members over the age of 70 to offer support. We offer to assist any alumni member who is unable to perform daily tasks such as shopping. The opportunity of the delivery of care packs to any alumni who are in need and the offer of support through social media and website promotion for any businesses owned or operated by Old Haleburians. We also provide regular updates to community members on the status of upcoming events and events that have been postponed and rescheduled. And providing online events such as regular webinar series, reunions and networking events. We also continue to connect through social media platforms with a minimum of one post per day. We are here to offer support to anyone who may need it. And of course, we are hopeful that we might be able to connect in person sooner rather than later. One of our celebrated events, the annual Clark Club Luncheon, is scheduled for Friday the 23rd of October at the Sandringham Yacht Club. And I do hope that I can connect with all of our 50 year plus members then. Until then, please don't hesitate to reach out to my office for any support should you need it. Thank you. Thanks Russ. Great to see such support in the wider Haleybury community. Now to our first piece from the archives, introduced by our audio archivist Gordon Hawley. Thanks Keith. Early last year, Graham Dickinson, grandson of Headmaster Sidney Dickinson, kindly donated to archives a letter his grandfather had received from Jeff Bailey, an old Haleburian serving in the Middle East during World War II. Jeff left Halebury in 1926, but 17 years later felt compelled to relate to his headmaster his thoughts and feelings of how we should live in the world. 
His message for a more humane existence was a direct response to the destruction and hardships he had witnessed during the conflict of war. At this time of the coronavirus pandemic, with its severe financial hardships, lockdowns and social distancing, we can well relate to Jeff's message of hope for a better future. The letter is read by Halebury's Director of Visual and Performing Arts, Mr Stuart Bell. Dear Mr Dickinson, sorry I have not written for some time, but as you no doubt know by now, we are still in the Middle East and the last few months have seen us moving about a great deal. Consequently, the opportunities for letter writing have not been very good. I can't say the desert has altered to any degree since we left Tobruk last year. There's still plenty of dust and innumerable flies and comfort is what you make it. After two and a half years, I've acquired the ability to make myself quite comfortable in any conditions. Such is the change from civil to army life. News from home has been very scarce this year, as far as letters go at any rate, but through the advantages of wireless we can keep in touch with the outside world on both our own and the enemy side. That is, if a man decides to sift the truth from the rest of the news. I have developed the habit of listening to the news without being impressed by any of it, until I actually see and prove things for myself. Life at home, apparently, is a far different proposition to when we left in 1940, and to all intents and purposes it will remain decidedly different when we eventually return. In some ways, it should be to our advantage, because I'm hopeful that this war will produce a healthier relationship between all human beings, the elimination of selfishness in the individuals being the first step. Education will have a much bigger part to play than it has in the past, as this upheaval has shown not on our side, but on the enemies, that psychology can be studied with astounding results. Just imagine the tremendous effects of propaganda used in the right way to influence people into better ways of living, of improving standards of loving thy neighbour even better than thyself. Eventually, it must have its desired result, although care must be taken to ensure that the propaganda so distributed was 100% sincere. In that, maybe I see my only stumbling block. Can sufficient numbers of sincere people be found? Personally, I see no reason why it cannot be done, as there must be millions of people throughout the world who are entirely impartial as to policy, but love their country so much that a lifetime spent in its service would be too short. I cannot find room in my own mind for the creation of enemies. And if people dislike me, I don't return that dislike, but go on thinking of the best in everyone. We all have a best side, be it ever so small, so why is it not possible to develop that side? So many questions that must be left unanswered, but I'm afraid that I won't give up my efforts on the lines I've started. I want to visualise a world wherein man and woman, boy and girl and all things can live in peace and trust in each other. But unfortunately that trust is going to be a very hard thing to restore for a long time to come. We can do something about it ourselves, especially those of us who have had the pleasure and, yes, I'll say advantages, of a public school education because the cornerstone of our life, to my way of thinking, was trust in each other, which led to comradeship that only death can sever. Just think of it. If everyone could have that advantage. I write this after a period of 17 years away from school, and in that time I have not had a great deal of contact with my former friends there. Yet that feeling of pleasure at knowing them still exists as strongly as it did then. 
And I know you will find that it exists in the hearts of all who pass through not only Halebury, but all other public schools. If only that same spirit could permeate the whole world. Wars could not be started by anyone, and unnecessary suffering can and must be abolished. No more must we live selfishly. We must help others even to the extent of personal sacrifice, because in that way, and in that way only, can we bring about a lasting brotherhood of all peoples. Our ways must be examples. Others will benefit from it in time. And in the process, we ourselves will benefit by the trust people will put in us and our word. But above all things, we must be sincere in all we do. Maybe this is a peculiar letter from me, but believe me, I mean it right from the bottom of my heart. And those 17 years since I left school have given me the chance to study myself pretty thoroughly. So maybe my inattention and dullness, whilst one of your pupils, may yet be vindicated. I've tried to write my thoughts just as they have come to me, and most of them I have practised assiduously during two and a half years of war. Until now they have become part of my mental outlook on life, which has been immensely enlarged by travel and contacts with every known type of Australian, Englishman and many others. Well, I must stop now until later on, so I'll take this opportunity of wishing both you and Mrs Dickinson and all present and past pupils the compliments of the season and a brighter, happier new year. Yours sincerely, Jeff Bailey. Hmm. Some remarkable similarities with the challenges and opportunities that we are presented with in the current crisis. Thanks for that suggestion, Gordon, and special thanks to Stuart Bell for a masterly reading. Now, travelling forward through time from 1942 to 1998, a farewell tribute to outgoing Principal Michael Aikman by Major General Sir Harrison Clive. Now, he's come all this way to pay his respects to our retiring principal. Please give a warm Halebury welcome to Major General Sir Harrison Clive. That is... I did not say stand easy. There seems to be a lack of steadiness in this assembly. Well, I have to tell you, it's rather irregular to be introduced by a teacher actually designated the head of drama. I should have thought, in a sense, every teacher was a head of drama. Nevertheless, my lords, if any, by all reports, they're a dying breed. Mr. Chairman, Principal, other ranks, ladies and gentlemen, what an extraordinarily high honour and an extremely profound privilege it is to have me address you. Again, as if once were not enough, and it certainly was for me. When I spoke at your centenary dinner, or bravely attempted to do so, I unfortunately had not had the benefit of reading the opinion of an earlier British visitor to these fatal shores, one Marcus Clark, who wrote in 1869 that Australians are not a nation of snobs like the English, or of extravagant boasters like the Americans, or of reckless profligates like the French. They are simply a nation of drunkards. 
Later this evening, you shall drink a toast, those of you who are able, to Sir Michael Aikman, your principal of 25 years. It's worth reflecting briefly upon the significance of 1974. In Australia, the president of the ACTU, Bob Hawke, wept over the plight of the Jewish people. I doubt if the Jewish people returned the compliment. <laughs> in Bathurst, the local jail was burnt to the ground in that year by ten prisoners, only four of whom were old Haleburians. In California, heiress Patty Hearst was kidnapped by revolutionaries, exposing the perils of coeducation. In London, an IRA bomb damaged the Palace of Westminster, injuring 11 very important people, none of whom was an old Haleburian, or at least not one of yours. Cyclone Tracy demolished Darwin and President Richard Nixon resigned. Had he been an old Haleburian, he would surely have stuck it out. <laughs> what was needed most urgently in 1974 were builders. Builders of bridges, of understanding, of families. Rebuilders of social fabrics, personal trust, and institutional loyalties. Cometh the hour, cometh the man. Sir Michael Aikman was a product of Geelong College. Well, even the most surprisingly distinguished of us have to start somewhere. <laughs> he was good at sport, but he was even better at Gilbert and Sullivan as a ten-year-old soprano. In that respect, he really should have gone to Melbourne Grammar. He rode for his college, his university, his state, and his country, never once looking around to see where he was going. <laughs> he joined the university regiment for the same reason. He fell in at Camberwell High to teach physics and enlisted at Scotch College for no apparent reason. He moved to Trinity Grammar in Sydney because its military band wore red coats and pith helmets. They sounded appalling but looked magnificent. The Scots school Bathurst also sounded appalling and to him looked even worse. But by the time Sir Michael's term there was complete, he'd presided over an empire on which the concrete had never set. And so it has been at Halebury, the building of Newlands and Berwick, and for the senior school, the Great Hall, the chapel, the pool, and other facilities, too numerous to mention. Every grain of every course of every piece of brickwork and mortar personally inspected by the fanatical man in the mortar himself. And when you add them all up, the uncertain 70s, the golden 80s, and the challenging 90s, what grand total do you reach? A builder of buildings, to be sure. But more than that, a builder of spirit, a builder of soul, a builder of young men, those who have a firm handshake and look you in the eye. And as you all join the last of the singing headmasters, or is it the 
first of the singing head guides on European cultural tours for seniors, <laughs> with a verse or two of For He Is a Haley Man, you could reflect on the words of Sir Winston Churchill, a man from the right country but the wrong school. Headmasters have powers at their disposal with which prime ministers have never yet been invented. If God forbid an old Haleburian who left school between 1974 and 1998 should ever descend to the office of prime minister, he'll be able to look back and up and say, I have to tell you, I was at Halebury in the Aikman era. If I had that man's powers today, I should be able to run the country as he once ran the school. There's a military academy, an institute of sport, a temple for the arts, and a college of advanced civil engineering. In the words of Sir Henry Wotton, in architecture as in all other operative arts, the end must direct the operation. The end is to build well. Well building hath three conditions, commodity, firmness, and delight. Well done, Michael. Three prescriptions. Dismiss, stand easy, and have a great night. From me too. <clears throat> Very witty, but a sincere tribute to Michael Aikman nevertheless. For those not in on the secret, the Major General was actually legendary Melbourne impersonator Campbell McComas, who sadly passed away from leukaemia at the age of 52 in 2005. Coincidentally, McComas was a distant relative of John Wesley, or Jack McComas, who was one of the original 17 students of Charles Rendell's New Halebury in 1892. As a law student at Monash University in 1976, McComas fooled hundreds of students and staff when he lectured as bogus visiting law professor Glanville Williams. In the next 30 years, McComas would create an amazing repertoire of over 1,800 characters. Now, Gordon, if you please, something equally inspiring to take us out. Hard act to follow, but no pressure, of course. Continuing with a nationalistic flavour, we present a recording made in 1970 at the Halebury Music Festival in the St Kilda Town Hall. Known as the Queensland version of Waltzing Matilda, it is sung with great fervour and a bit of fun by the boys. The arrangement is by David Byrne, OH 1966, who is currently Assistant Director of Music, School Organist and Teacher of French at Camberwell Grammar School. Thank you. 
Thanks again, Gordon. It certainly sounds like they were all having fun. Well, that's it for this 17th From the Archives podcast. We hope it helped you to lift up your hearts. The next episode should be coming your way in June. Please remember that your feedback is what keeps us going. So if you've got a comment to make or a story you'd like to tell, please get in touch. This is Keith White signing off from the Archives, Series 1, Episode 17, May 2020. Thanks for listening.